When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk. This is the podcast devoted to knife makers, knife enthusiasts, for makers in general. I'm Jeff Fader of Fader Knives. With me is Mareko Momasi of Momasi Fire Arts. And usually, we're here with the straw that stirs the drink, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. But he had, <laughs> he had other things to do. So it's going to be just me and Mareko today. And that's fine by me. Just we might two, drive just this. The two of us. We might drive this bus off the road. It's fine. Sure. It's just the way. It's, then that's that's how Craig knows that that's it's, it's his fault. Then. So with that said, <laughs> he, should, he shouldn't leave us. Welcome, unsupervised. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he left the left the keys to the wrong guys. It's fine. <laughs> he should never have trusted us. But that's the way. That's his fault now. Mareko, yeah. how is your week, my brother? Oh boy, uh, I, it's good. I'm getting a, a little better settled in. This week has been a lot of kind of catching up with customers, uh, trying to do do my best at being Jeff Fader um, ah, and managing the customers' expectations as things do get behind. Um, so just letting people know where I'm at and working on more builds, trying to get back at that gold actually. Doing, uh, oh. I still haven't finished that gold-plated knife uh, because I've been struggling with getting a good even finish. And I think uh, I talked with the company yesterday who makes the, the plating machine and uh, had a good conversation. And so I did a little experimenting. I think I came up, I have a, a better process now. So I'm going to be playing with that a bit today on a sample piece. And... Um, just out of curiosity, what's the general? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, in my mind, I, I have no idea. I, all I can think of is like electroplating. How, how? What's the what's the broad strokes on how you would you're going about doing this? It's electroplating. No you got it. That's it. Electroplating. Oh, right. well, so you <laughs> so like, <it's> like <laughs> you like carve in like a thing, or I don't. No, no. So it's. I mean, it's very similar to how like uh, you electro mark your name. Okay. Uh, except. In the medium, you know how you use your uh, your I can't electrolyte medium right. for kind of etching. Right. Uh, in that medium, there is gold, and it plates onto the surface. But um, it's a little different. But that's the broad strokes kind of basic. Huh. 
Wow, that's pretty cool. So you'd have a company do that, or you think you'd do it yourself? I'm doing it myself. I got a machine. I got a system. I got a machine, and uh, I'm doing it myself. And I'll tell you what, it's not cheap. I bet it's definitely not cheap. cheap. When you buy the gold, and what do they do? They send you like one of those, you know, like those big, big sacks filled with a dollar sign on it. I mean, how do they how do they send you gold? They send you a guy named Rumple Stillskin, and he's got no. Just joking. Um. No, they so. send you. That was a bad joke. Sorry. <laughs> I like a bad joke. See, Craig, you fucked up. You should have been here. Go ahead. <laughs> now they send you a setup with uh, kind of like various cups uh, because there there are different solutions that you have to do use to kind of set up your material for properly being plated. Uh, otherwise, the plating won't adhere as well, huh. and so. Uh, but the gold medium that I'm using, because I'm using a, a what's called a brush system, which literally means I have like cotton swabs, um, but not just like like Q-tips, but like they look like tampons on the end of metal rods, Yikes. and um, and <laughs> you get the solution on there. And you spread it, you spread it around your. Don't tell the your... customer. Don't tell the customer that. that that's that's <laughs> a bad upsell. That's a terrible upsell. I'm gonna, tamp- I'm gonna tampon up this gold. Just put a yeah. little on the tampon and rub it on the knife. There you go. Electroetching. Yeah. Bad upsell. You run some electricity through it. Yeah. So it's like a gel that has the uh, the gold in it. And so I spread that around and it plates to the surface wow. of the blade. Yeah. So would and that be the last thing you do? That will basically be the last thing that I do. So I have to get everything looking spanking nice before. So really high contrast etch and everything before I go and work to put on this plating and on this knife you know i've i've tried about uh i've gone through about a dozen attempts to get it right and then i said i had it was one of those things i had to set down and come back to later because um because i i just couldn't get it i was i needed some time away from it and so yeah took some time away from it uh, contacted the company who's uh who made the machine i've been talking with them the whole time they've been really great very helpful, and so yesterday I had a good a, a good reaction uh, doing the plating, and uh, I look forward to doing some more plating stuff today. Uh, other than that, the calendar's officially closed, and um, and we ended up with a, a nice round two hundred calendars being printed right now. Awesome! And Congratulations! That That's great. Yeah, put yeah put that in yesterday. Uh, with the final kind of look over everything, make sure everything looks right. Got a bunch of more dates on there, which was kind of a huge pain to get in, but yeah. they're important to have in there. Uh, if you didn't get your date in there, I'm sorry. And I am guarantee there are going to people be like, wait a second, why isn't yeah. this on there? And I tell you what, at press time... <laughs> a lot of a lot of those hammer uh, the hammer ins and the shows don't have the dates actually figured out yet. Um, no. So unfortunately, they didn't make the calendars. But um, I think we are looking at doing some some more stuff for like Christmas time. Possibly, we're gonna start working on putting something together and doing some printing then. But we got the, we got the order in yesterday so that we can get those the the order printed. Get those calendars turned around and shipped back out to people um, by the beginning of July, which would be that's great. Sweet. Congratulations! That was a that was a yeah. monumental effort, just designing well, and figuring it all out. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Designing it, figuring it all out, figuring, kind of finding proper templates to, to do. Like I basically did all the work. I, I just, the printer helped put it together so it can print nicely. Right. Um, so it was, it was a bit of an endeavor, but I just want to, again, I, I thanked everybody last week and I'll thank everybody again, as well as you, Jeff and Craig, I know you're listening. Thank you so much, everybody for your awesome support and making this a real, thing the first time around that's really cool it's it's it is super cool it is super cool and uh you know it's uh you know you were very good to the community to do that i think a lot of people appreciated it and yeah i'm I'm really happy that you did as well as you did uh you know sometimes calendars aren't necessarily the thing people want so it's it's uh it's fantastic and and the fact that maybe you might do it again is great too it would be nice to do it every year You, you know that's great Absolutely. And oh. and when new dates do come in, because uh, like I said, not everything, not everybody had dates. But yeah. when I do get new dates, I will actually, I think the best place to let people know is probably here. Just to like okay. write-ins if you want to write stuff in to your calendar. You can add it to the calendar, but yeah, otherwise. So, D- hey. so you're saying DM Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram, and then and then at some point you'll slip it in? You'll slip yeah. it in? Or, yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> there you go. What about you go. what about your last week? You've been doing tired, the CIA man. stuff this last week. I'm super tired. I'm I'm this is the but this is the most tired I've been in a long time. Well, actually when we recorded last uh, number uh, episode 70 where we talked about kangaroo balls for a while, I was actually that was halfway <laughs> through my takeover. So, if this is the first time you're listening, um I had uh, been asked uh by the Culinary Institute of America uh, well, asked is is funny because my business partner Tony Ayatsi is a graduate of the CIA Culinary Institute of America, one of the best culinary schools in the in the world, and we have been involved with them. We've been giving uh, knives to some of their auctions and stuff like that. And then they reached they had reached out to me to see if I take over the. Uh, they wanted to do they want to start to build up their social media profile. One of the things about the Culinary Institute of America is that it's old school and it's like they're it's as most people are finding out especially you know people who are in business is they're not embracing social media to the point where they're realizing the value a lot of people think that social media is like you do two posts and you're supposed to see something and usually they don't realize that it is you know kind of a grassroots thing so they approach me they 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 know i fool around a lot so they approached me and then they asked me to do a do their alumni takeover so on monday I started in, well, they asked me a few months ago when I really, Tony and I sat down and we kind of storyboarded what we were going to do. We're super, super organized to do a good job taking over their feed. I got to do whatever I wanted on the on their stories and I got to post, I didn't want to post too much. Uh, I posted three images, one each day, or three three posts each day on their, on their page. And it was exciting and nervous, and I, I did a lot of prep beforehand. And Tony and I kind of worked on copy. And we, the, when they the CIA said, "Well, here are some of the guidelines." It wasn't just you know don't say certain things, but it was along the lines of they really wanted me to kind of create a beginning, middle, and end. So we needed to right. really kind of make sure that I I really wanted to make sure that I made a really good first a really good first impression with with them. So. The first day we showed the shop and Tony and this and that and everything, what we do here. And then the second day I started forging this integral knife. 
and then the third day I did, and then I storied every every stage of the of all of it. So, and um, and then the second, and then the third day I kind of finished the knife, and it was like, I was, I tell you what, I hats off to you content guys, Alec and Will and and all oh, these guys. Sure. It's so exhausting. I don't know, and I had a crazy <laughs> deadline too, <clears throat> because I had to like get everything finished in this kind of bookmarked you know, beginning, middle, and end, and it was like, you know, trying to figure out, blah, 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 blah. It was exhausting. It was really tiring. Yeah. And then the night the night, the night of the second day, I thought, what should, I should do something different the last day. And then I thought, I've just been putting my name up every five minutes. Why don't I introduce, if this is going to be like a resource, yeah. I should be a resource. So I had actually, sure. I'd actually been in touch with the social media people there. On the first day, they were really happy. The second day, they called me to say we're doing a great job. It's really great, really interesting. They had never. They actually wanted to instead of talking about what I'm doing, they wanted to talk about the the, the process. They were fascinated by the forging. Fascinated. They didn't realize blah blah. So yeah. on the third day, I said, "Listen, you know, I'm gonna. You know, this is how we create a community. I'm just gonna start to like. If this is gonna be a resource, here's some of the people that you should be following. So I decided that on every story, I would. I would put up um, a knife maker, a bladesmith that I that I, I I'm inspired by, and who I've wanted to kind of like highlight them to show these people who follow the Culinary Institute of America, the students, blah blah blah, that there are more people out there, and then they all yeah. have different approaches. We all have different approaches. So it was in the beginning, it was just great, and then it was really great because. All these guys reached out to me, and then all the knife makers started following the Culinary Institute of America, and then the Culinary Institute of America people started following the knife makers, and it was a really nice. It was a nice ending, and the only there's two things that bum me out about the whole thing. One is I couldn't get everybody on there, and there was oh, a sure. lot of people I wanted to put up, but it got to the point where I was like, I didn't think about this until the last day, which was my fault. But at the same time, I did the best I could. That was awesome. Lots of people reached out to me. Nick Wheeler was super pumped, and um, you know Don Wynn, everybody, whoever I mentioned, they were you know they were psyched. They were psyched to be you know because definitely if we you know you and I and Craig we kind of do traditionally culinary school uh, culinary knives, and you know right. I figured we need to start as people who are you know looking at targeting audiences. We need to target the right audience, and right the right audience is the food people, not other knife yeah. makers. So right. I really wanted to kind of like these people had no idea what I was doing. You know these these students and the people they had no. I mean I mean you know we take for granted we we take for granted we talk about coffee edge and forging and hammers and this that and the thing we yeah, take yeah. for granted that most people have no idea what we're doing. So it was really cool and I was really happy to do it. And then um, at the end of the, the end of the third day, I made a fucking huge error. And uh -oh. it was, I was super, super, it was, it was, it wasn't, you know, no one really noticed except for probably some knife makers and then I noticed at night. So I, 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 I was at the finish line. I was like, I was at the finish line and I was trying to finish this knife and I didn't even really look at it. But I realized after I took a picture and posted it and then I, you know, sent the message to the CIA, all right, I'm, I'm done. I, I hear the, here's the password. I don't want to, I, I erased the whole thing. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm done. I realized that I made a, a slight design flaw in the profile that I could have fixed five minutes on Tuesday. 
And then I ended up fixing an hour, hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes on, on Thursday. And it was, and I, so I, so I was kind of pissed off at myself because I was so busy worrying about the content and worrying about, am I, who should I be saying? What name should I be saying? And am I doing this the right way? Or does this look stupid? Or do I, I, I did sure. the videos. I wish there was a blooper vi- reel of all the times I, I, I just had to stop. I had to redo it because it was like, it was getting ridiculous. I should have stopped, and I should have looked, and I didn't, and I, I ended up redoing the knife. So actually, if you go to the Culinary Institute of America page and you see the knife there, you I'm not going to tell you what. You'll be able to see it. If you look at it there compared to what I posted, you know, it was one of those things. So, I'll and have then, to check uh, that out. Yeah, it was just like, you know, it was like, it was an oversight. It was an oversight, and it was something that if I if I wasn't trying to, like, rush on this weird, it was a weird deadline, I would have caught it, and I didn't. And um, it's just the way it is. But uh, the funny thing is, is you know, we talked on the last episode. We were talking about doing an Instagram live. So the I was talking to the social media people at the CIA, and they were really pumped. And I said, "How do you feel about me doing a uh, an Instagram live?" They said, "Go for it." So the last hour of the day, I did an Instagram live, and it was. I tell you what, it was it was relatively boring. And the reason why is because these guys are like, <laughs> it was boring. It was boring because it wasn't like the knife people ask good questions. These people are like. These people all thought that I, w- I, I, I was involved with the school. They said, how can I get into your school? How can I have tuition? Are there any you know, scholarships? I'm like, and I kept on saying, I don't, I don't know how to work here. I'm a knife maker. And then one guy's, what do you mean you're a knife maker? I'm like, look, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not. I, I had to explain to these people, like, I'm not in the admissions department at the Culinary Institute of America. <laughs> and then one guy, I mean, that one speaks woman to who said, their target wow, demographic is, is that they're marketing to. Yeah, well, they had no idea. They they just like you know somebody's like, oh, the Culinary Institute of America is live, and then some asshole in a black shop, you know, a dirty shop is like talking about <laughs> knives, and they're like, hey man, I want to go to your school. I'm like, any of my school. And then one kid said, uh, you seem kind of interesting. If I don't, if I have no friends at culinary school, can I hang out in your shop? And I immediately said, no, you can't. You can't come here. You're not allowed. I don't want you here. So, you know, it all Breaking hearts. Out. Ah, look, it was, it was just stupid. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to fuck around a little bit. And I, and I it was so good. I didn't curse. And, but I tell you what, this, these you. content guys, these content guys, man, it, it, I, it, is, it, it was exhausting. It was exhausting. So that's yeah. that. And uh, there we are. And, and they're happy. And we're going to do something. I'm going to do something else with them at some point. So. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, realistically, like content content ain't no bullshit like it's hard work there's a it's reason exhausting. that there are only a few people who are really blasting out there and killing it and and entertaining and educating uh walter sorrels you know alex Steele and will uh nick wheeler yeah. like i mean it's hard it's hard to put it together it's hard to take the time and story like thoughtfully storyboard it out instead of you know just turning on the camera and yeah. <sighs> Yammering at the at the it, it yammering was, at it like I would be. Well, <laughs> like I am right now, look, yeah. I think that I think that it, I think that you would have done great. I think that the problem is is I think with Instagram stories, I think it's important to be. I, I what I try to do is as I try to like do one story per block in video because that sure. makes you more succinct. Like if you can't make it to the first thing, then maybe that uh, ma- that makes you edit yourself more. Like if I if I if I went over the first block of time in the stories, I realized that I wasn't being succinct enough. So it actually sure. helped me in terms of, because these people, you can't, 
these people don't know what the hell we're doing. And, you know, so it's like I was trying to be as succinct as possible. And, and it was tiring, man. And then in regards to the highlights, they're going to put them all together because they said Instagram only allows you to do 100 at, uh, per, for a highlight or something like that. And I went way okay. over that. So it was like it was a pile. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I only I, caught I, a few of them. But yeah, they turned out the, great. the ones I caught were great. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, it was fun. I, I you know, I, I, it just, it just drained me. Like, it drained me. It drained me. But you know, now moving onward. Onward and so, upward. So let's talk about our first uh, sponsor. That's Clarix Metalworks. Clarix C L A R Y X Metalworks dot com. There you go. So if you go to there, you can. They're gonna give. They have beautiful grinders. Uh, the BG Pro version two is an amazing grinder, and if you put in Knife Talk five, you get five percent off on all your orders. Their uh, their grinder is at the vertical; it, it switches over to horizontal. Everything's built in Europe. Everything they're European parts. Uh, all of them come with the uh, VFD, uh, three different configurations. There's a fully articulating tool rest. It changes positions easily for horizontal grinding in any space and in between. Really, really versatile. Um, the, bases are, the, the, the base has the controls. There's a tool tray, extra plug for your light and dust collection. You have a choice of colors. Whatever you want, they'll make you make you whatever you want. It's a very inexpensive shipping throughout Europe, also internationally. There's a rotary platen, large wheel, small wheel, surface grinding attachment is coming. BG Pro version two, man. I tell you what, Clarix, you did a good job, and um, Craig did an unboxing video of of his Clarix. I think he's got the uh, BG Pro version too, and it yeah. is really a cool way to see a, a a grinder. And there have been really great sponsors, so go support them. Absolutely. All right. Hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> <laughs> you did a good one. That's a, by the way, if anyone's listening to the former episodes, um, that's supposed <laughs> to be Jay Z, but I it's it's supposed to be Jay Z, but it really sounds like John uh, uh, Travolta. I almost said Revolta, John Travolta. <laughs> All right. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? This is the part of the show where we do a little bit of Q&A. We try to help you guys out. You send questions in. This is where you get a chance to actually help drive the conversation. And so if you want to – if you got a question you need an answer to, shoot us a DM over at the Knife Talk Instagram, um, and we'll get it up here. So first one, I'm going to kick it off. It's from K- uh, Kale B. Gant. Nice. I think it's Caleb, Caleb. Oh my god. Caleb. I don't know how to <laughs> It's Caleb get. <laughs> Caleb B. I pronounce I like Caleb. Caleb. I like Caleb. Caleb. I like, Caleb. Caleb. <laughs> I like that smokes. one better. It's early. It's early. Sorry, Caleb. All right, Caleb. <laughs> Gant knives. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? He says, "Do you grind bevels before or after heat treat and what's the benefit to one or the other?" That's a good question right there. Do you do any do you do any grinding before I, you uh, now, your I'm going to talk about stock removal. I'm going to talk about this. I'm, this is a stock removal question because if you're forging knives, generally you're kind of forging in the bevels. Generally, um, sure. I have two different way. I, when I first started in, especially because I was doing stainless steel, the stainless steel gets super super wear resistant after heat treat. So I thought, well, I'm just going to start to take off a little bit of the material before heat treatment while the while while the steel is soft. And not put. And if I'm, we're talking about um, heat treating with stainless steel. And I'm using aluminum plates. 
I wanted to keep, I wanted to not put in the distal taper because I felt like when I'm pressing the, um, the blade in between the plates, I was getting a more closer and even, um, heat treatment and I wouldn't, I wouldn't put an extra bend in it because the spine of the knife was flat. So what I started doing was I started to take a little bit of material off just to give myself a little bit of a break. And then I started using thinner and thinner materials. And now that I'm, I'm really using mostly 330 seconds as my steel, it's not worth taking it off before the heat treatment. You're, it's the same amount of work for not a lot more uh, value. So when I'm doing stock removal 330 seconds or... I'm starting to do a lot more stock removal uh, 16th inch steel. I I don't want to take anything off, and I'm heat treating them flat, and then I'm grinding them after heat treatment and temper. Sure. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. From from me and my experience, the key to primary it's to what's commonly called primary grinding. So you're grinding, doing some grinding. If you especially if you're starting from bar stock, you're doing some grinding before hardening. So that when you, after you harden the material, the, the material has become super hard and super wear resistant, um, which is perfect. That's what you want. Um, that you don't have to do as much grinding afterward. Um, especially if you're doing thicker stock closer to a quarter of an inch, you probably want to figure out something to do a little bit of primary grinding just so that it's not such, uh, not not so much work. You, I mean, you want to right. do... You want to remove a mass of material while it's still soft. So, um, but when it comes to forging, it, it, especially even like Damascus or even mono steel, you, you try to forge as close to dimension. But ultimately, things can still end up a little bit on the thicker side. Um, I've been pushing mine closer and closer to a, a heat treatable dimension, um, but. You know, there are some patterns that you just don't want to forge. You want to forge to profile, but you don't necessarily want to forge to dimension because, um, and when I say dimension, I mean oh. the cross-sectional thickness because it will mess with the pattern in a way. That's right. You, you That's know, right. I forgot you, about that. Yeah, you see a lot of these, um, especially like the, the, the Turkish twists and all these crazy Merovingian twist patterns you see from like Franco or from the DeRosiers or something like that. They, and Julian Antunes, they, they're forging to profile and then they're hogging off a massive amount of material because part of the, also the thing about how twists work and how they reveal the pattern is you kind of have to grind down deep to get that shape. So they'll they'll forge the profile and then they, uh, they'll, they do a shit ton of grinding to get down to some really beautiful activity and, and figure in the pattern and then they will do their heat treat um and then finish grind from there i mean i think ultimately it, it just kind of depends on your approach like you said if you're working with thinner stock it might make sense to just heat treat it at thickness and then grind afterwards versus if you're starting with thicker stock do a bit of grinding beforehand do some primary grinding and then harden your blade and then finish the grinding afterwards that's but, interesting what you were saying in regards to now that we're just we're going to just off-road a little bit in regards okay. to forging the Damascus uh, mosaic patterns, and I was it just you just reminded me, I would imagine I have never done this, but I've never. I mean, I don't do a lot of Damascus anyway. But when you're forging something like a feather Damascus, you certainly sure. don't want to forge too much of. You don't want to forge too much of the bevel because that's going to completely distort your final yeah, product. You get a lot of unwanted distortion can happen for sure. So so. 
if you're if you're if you, let's say let's just say for argument's sake, I, don't, I mean, sure. my curiosity. So you got to let's say you have your your billet ready to forge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have your billet. You have your your final a mosaic billet ready to forge on a chef's knife. Sure. What are you doing and what are you not doing? Like you're, I know that one of the ways that you forge <laughs> your energy. Well, I know, I know you, I know you start up as like a, you start, you're not starting your, you're not starting your billet as an inch by inch bar. You're starting it on the thicker, on the wider side, closer yeah. to your two inches because you don't want to, you don't want to f- screw up the mosaic, right? Yeah, so I'm starting with a little bit taller, kind of a more of a rectangular cross section. That's about at a minimum five eighths by one and a quarter. Okay, um, but I more ideally probably around three quarter to one and a quarter or one and a half. And so part of the idea with that is that you have some of your heel height, especially for a chef's knife that wants to be closer to at least two inches or maybe a little bit more. Right. So you have more of that height before you even start pulling, like forging out the blade and pulling down that heel so that there's just a little less forging that needs to happen down there, which helps reduce the amount of distortion um, at the heel area or any of those areas along the heel, the edge, out at the tip. I mean, you do want, I mean... The distortion is is a nice aesthetic in the way that it is the same way hand sanding is for a hand handmade knife, even on a mono steel blade, is that it, it shows that uh, by seeing the bit of distortion down at the heel and how the pattern stretches out towards the tip, that is informing anybody who knows what they're looking at that this blade was forged uh, forged to profile at least. Right. And you can there are different indicators that also show you know that. The, it was forged to shape too, because you'll see a little bit more distortion sometimes, uh, especially along the edge. Um, so it's not bad. It's not a bad thing, uh, to have a little distortion, but as long as you're, as long as you're in control of what you're doing, um, a little bit of distortion is okay. Uh, I guess as long as it's intentional though. So you're intentionally kind of trying to show that you have, uh, the the skill set to be able to forge a blade to profile and to dimension um, versus uh, stock removal, which is just also just as fine. There are um, you know there are a lot of ways to skin this cat, but and they don't always involve forging to dimension. But so I would imagine I yeah. would imagine that when you're forging a Damascus, a Damascus, well, I guess you a bit the, the one knife is still a billet, right? Um, you're getting more distortion on the edge of the profile than you are the spine. How do you, go ahead. I was, I would just imagine because, you know, I recently just forged out this, um, this bar and, and you know, you, the way you're moving the material, the spine, you end up not moving as much material off the spine as you do stretching down and out to the, to make the profile of the edge and the the bevel and the 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 tip. So I would just imagine yeah. that it's just interesting to me because I don't. I, I guess I I guess I still in my mind I'm thinking that you you don't you have to have more material so you're you're forging the just the profile, not worrying so much about the bevel, right? Yeah, I mean I that's how I used to do all my forging, um, and a lot of it was the, the amount of time that was taking, as well as my concern about distorting 
the pattern. And now that I've started doing the the jump weld or the butt weld, um, kind What's of that. Well, when I'm tiling the billet, you know, so there's the fairy flip, which is cutting the tiles at an angle and welding those. Okay. Or, or I'm just doing straight cuts and okay. stacking them like a micro billet. I call it a micro billet. <laughs> Because a normal billet is, you know, you know, a few pounds of steel on this micro billet is just enough for one knife. Um, I stack those up, weld those together, and start forging those out. And because I've started doing those straight welds, um, there's less of a concern of distortion. So you can, I've been finding that you can forge pretty damn close to dimension. I'm taking my material sometimes down to a sixteenth of an inch down at the edge. Really? Um, when I'm forging out the blade, yeah. Huh. Oh, and a- and. And if I'm if I'm doing that all right, I just heat treat as forged. So you um, heat you heat treat with scale everything. You don't kind of look yep. into it beforehand. No, mm-hmm. I just heat treat it as forged, and then um, and then I do my grinding afterwards. Very cool. You listen. Yeah. I the, my only regret is you moved before I got to spend a little time with you and uh, watch you forge some some knives. But you know, I you know what, I I'm convinced that we're going to do it at some point. So. Do you, we wanna, will. We do you will. want anything else you want to cover on this, or you should go to the next question? No, all right. All right. Question number two. Right. <laughs> I got you, you. I got this one. Yeah. All right, so I am Ted Godel. I am Ted Godel asks, Hey, cutie, as a beginning knife maker who focuses on forging, I'm having a lot of issues getting my blades straight when I'm finishing up with the initial forging. What's the best way to true a blade... When you're done forging, any advice would be greatly appreciated. Love the podcast. So he's having a hard time getting to the point where he feels it's straight mm. when he's forging. What sure. I like to use lower temperature uh, cycles. So I'll, I'll bring it up to like a dull red or, you know, I won't take it all the way up to critical. I'll just bring it up to like a, a dull orange or dull red. And just very gently kind of tap on things. And essentially what you're kind of doing is doing a subcritical anneal kind of, I don't know, thermal cycling of the blade um, after you're done forging, which helps reduce stress, but also gives you a chance to get in there and straighten things out if there's a little, something's a little wonky. Um, and I do that on every knife I forge. Now, that's interesting because I uh, who I, I just saw Aaron Woolburn at the Blade Show. I had a really great conversation with him, and he explained to me what the subcritical soak was a while ago. And he, he so basically, when you let's say you let's just when you finish your blade, you forge your blade out, and it's, it's kind of it, it, so you're you're putting it into an oven at at uh, five minutes. At, at he he had three different cycles. And then the last cycle of five minutes, he let it cool down in the oven overnight. So what okay. happens is it annealed. You know, it was like, it was like five minutes at five hundred, uh, fifteen hundred. Another five minutes at fifteen hundred, and you pull it out just like you would nor- normalize. But then he put it in it like for two hours at thirteen hundred, and then he let it cool down in the oven. And then that was what he had described to me as the critical and I might be getting it wrong to be honest with you but that so once it's annealed then you can actually futz with it with a wrench sure. or with a hammer or you can light taps and you can <laughs> kind of get it squared away yeah. yeah before you're heat treating that's something that was yeah. interesting yeah mine's kind of similar but I, I essentially do I do it all out of the forge um, and I I bring it up to critical let it air cool 
I, uh, I do this three times, but on the third time, I actually quench it and then um, let it come down to room temperature and then put it in my kiln at around 1250 and let it sit in there and soak for about an hour. Because um, it actually, when it comes up temperature with the kiln, you know, the first 30 or 40 minutes is just coming up to temperature, no matter basically what temperature it is. Right. Um, and so, um, or not, sorry, not the first 30 or 40 minutes. Anyway, anyways, so let it soak there at 1250. And essentially, it's over tempering the Martin site that you had just created by quenching the blade. And, um, I don't know what the deal is exactly. I wish I'd I've better had a better understanding why this works so nicely, and maybe some of our super intelligent, not so attractive uh, <laughs> only <laughs> ugly guys can help us with that. <laughs> all the ugly fuckers. Only only guy, uh, ugly guys chime in. <laughs> Good looking guys can fuck away off. I <laughs> uh, can help better inform us, but um, but it it helps. It, I think I believe it's called a sphere anneal, and so essentially it's over tempering, but it's still retaining kind of like the martensitic crystalline structure. It's just over tempered, and it like at this point you can drill it, grind it like a dream, like it's butter, uh, and then and then you and then I do my final hardening from there after I've done whatever grinding I think I need to do, um, and then uh, and that's it, just one quench after that. Now and I've I've been getting. Awesome results, great performance, great toughness, edge retention all around, yeah. We've given a beginning knife maker a NASA answer. So I'm going to try to give him a non-NASA answer. When I was a, a blacksmithing, when you straighten, you, you what you're doing is you're using the anvil and the hammer in a manner that you're, you're doing what's called planishing hits. And those planishing hits mm. are light hits. You're not going full blast. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to knock in some of the dents. You're trying to make it even. And then you're going back and forth, flipping it over and over and over. And then looking down the barrel of the knife and seeing where your problems are. At this point, you can also, while it's hot, you can if it's, if like, let's say the heel is a little bit crooked because maybe you hit it too hard on one side. When you're forging in those bevels sometimes that, you know, you're not 100%, you get a little bit warm, stick it in a vice, you get a little crescent wrench, fix your problems. That yep. you can do too. And the other thing is, is one thing that I've been, I've learned a lot from uh, my buddies Cliff and uh, John is I'm using, I'm using flatters and set hammers more. And what flatters mm. and set hammers are, they're not really, I mean, you basically, it's like a, you, you're holding something. It's a hammer that you actually hit, but it's a flat face on one side. You have a soft face on the other. And then what you can do is actually you, you're driving force. You're not hitting the steel. So if you use a set hammer or you use a flatter, sometimes you can actually straighten things without using, uh, without like... Um, I guess a gouging hit, you would say. Um, so sure. lately, I've been using set hammers and flatters way more often because I've been watching these guys. When you see guys making uh, hammers, or you guys seeing really, you look at Jake Ferrum, you look at Sunset and Cliff, you look at uh, all these really high end uh, uh, Fire Forge. You look at these high end blacksmiths. They're not straightening. You can or Pat Quinn. You can see that a lot of times. The, there's not hammer marks on on their work, and mm, it's because they're using right. flatters. So if you have a flatter, you use a set hammer, and it's hard when it's just you. You got to use the third hand sometimes. You know what the third hand is? That's where you have your tongs under your nuts, and you're holding with your legs, and then you're oh holding a set hammer in one hand, and then you're hitting sure the set the hammer. Right 
You got to make sure your hammers. That's right. Your 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 anvil's got to be at the right height. Otherwise, the third hand gets it. So that's what I've been doing a lot lately, and it's been a huge a huge help to getting my blades straighter. So yeah. So those flatters they have, like you said, they have large flat faces. So what it's doing instead of like your normal forging hammer is spreading that you know the impact over a smaller like a quarter size space or smaller. The flatters doing it over, you know, what two, two and a half inches, whatever the size of the face is, yeah, yeah. And you're yeah. getting all force without the actual impact. Yeah. So like, so if a good resource, if you want to get a flatter, Sunset Cliff makes Sunset Forging. CJ Dufton make flatters. Uh, I know Ethan Hardy, who's an awesome blacksmith out of Canada. He's an amazing fiddle player. He makes these elephant, these octagon flatters that look like an elephant's hoof they're the unbelievable flatters flatters cool. are, are i think that you know a lot more bladesmiths instead of worrying about your hammers you should be worrying you should think about the way blacksmiths move material and you're going to oh, see sure. that there's quicker ways there's quicker ways it's not all just it's not all just a hammer and an anvil and tongs you know you, you, these guys are using flatters and they're using specific tools to make certain marks and you know get yourself a flatter and then you're going to be able to kind of like control a little bit more of the um you're gonna have also you're gonna notice that the faces of your knives aren't as gouged like if you right. use stuff like that so here we go Blacks very good time. very good all right all right this next one is from m doyle hey man can i ask you a question just me uh is it just me or does it seem pretty obvious that scale burns and steel memes secret identity is actually Papa Feeder. All right, so there's an Instagram account called Sta- Scale Burns and Stale Memes, and this is a this is a secret identity guy. He does very funny, or she, I don't know, but I've got a feeling it's not. They do very funny <laughs> memes, very funny they're memes hilarious. about you know they're hilarious. They, they did one. Up. They did one with Dale uh, with uh, Don Wynn. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. But for some reason, everyone seems to think that it's me. And I encourage people thinking that it's me, but I know that it's not me, or I'm pretty sure it's not me. And, <laughs> and, and I, it, the craziest part is, is people think it's me. People think that I'm such a narcissist that I have to have a picture of myself on this, on this, on this, as the, as the header with laser beams coming out of my eyes. And then all the goofy memes... Are are you know three quarter, half of them are me and they think that it must be me because I obviously I'm I'm this my secret identity identity <laughs> and, and I, I I encourage it whoever I had to tell the person ah you want to tell them it's me I don't care I like I like what you're doing I like the subversion but if you think that I'm you think that I'm gonna number one sit around so you with, got the time to do that <laughs> you think I'm gonna sit around and, and and take some cartoonies and and like put some like goofy things to them I don't have time to do that number two I'm too old I'm too old to be getting like cartoonies and fooling around and number three I'm not gonna take the, our, my our knife to, I'm not gonna take our good material I need good material I'm bringing it to this goddamn show I'm not spreading it out that you can <laughs> that you can be sure of that's the one thing I will say is like if I'm gonna have something good to say I ain't sending it out out on some you know meme page but the guy is fantastic and I'm gonna let out a secret I think I know who it is 
Mm. I'm almost convinced I know who it is. I'm pretty yeah. sure that it's Will Stelter. And I, I and with that said, <laughs> with that said, I applaud you. I think Stelter putting doing, him on blast. I think Stelter, Stelter's doing a great job. I think that he needs some sort of, you know, back. I think he needs some back alley. He needs some back alley bullshit. He needs a little sleaze in his life. He needs a little, you know, he's got such a polished look. He's got a such a <laughs> gee golly, gosh darn it kind of thing. I think he needs a little back alley sleaze. I think he's doing a great job with it. I applaud you. I'm pretty sure it might not be him either, and it might be me. I don't know. Go follow sta- scale, berms and, scale Burns and Stale Memes. Yeah. There you go. So that that's the answer to that. It might be me. That's the answer to that. Or it might be Will. Well, if it if it was you, you'd be using memes of like Beaver Cleaver and Huckleberry Hound. Uh, you know what the funny thing is? You're not too far <laughs> off. I, somebody said that. that's very funny. Very funny. I I would definitely use Hanna Barbera memes. I would definitely be using. Hannah, I would not be using modern speak. It would, if I ran that page, <laughs> I can guarantee you three quarters of it would be Larry David things. It would be Larry oh, yeah. David and Seinfeld things. Like what? what are, what's who are these people? You know, I would be like that. It would, <laughs> it would be fucking that. It would what not is be the deal. Yeah, <laughs> who are these people? I would. I would totally be. You know, it'd be like the Larry David show. It would not. It for sure. Certainly wouldn't be SpongeBob's whatever SpongeBob. So there you have it. It's Will Stelter. Go. Good job, Will. All right. The next question comes from Dorans J. Dorans J asks, "Hey, cutie." And just to let you know, we say hey cutie a lot, and it's because a few episodes ago we started talking about how we hate these like sex bots who go on your uh, <laughs> go on your DMs and they say hey with a little heart. So like, hey sexy. cutie. So we started saying if you say hey cutie, we'll probably ask your question. So now everybody says hey cutie. So it's weird. All right. So Dorans <laughs> J says hey cutie. Question for the podcast: When making a fillet knife, how do you make it bend? Is it the type of steel with the temper or? Uh, is it how thin the blade is ground? With regards, Dorian Creative still has all his fingers. Well, there you go. Oh, that's so, good. do you do you ever work with the flexible fillet knives? I know I've seen you flex one of your chef knives when we were with uh, Carl Wes, and he and I both almost had a panic attack. You t- turned that oh, thing yeah. into a banana with no problems. <laughs> um, yeah, you can bend them with enough force, but <clears throat> in my experience, I found that once you get below sixty thousandths of an inch, so just under a sixteenth of an inch, an inch, the blade starts getting pretty damn whippy. Um, and that's within a nice taper down to the cutting edge. Um, I think the heat treatment does have uh, does play a role in it, but I. I think a lot of it has to do more with how it's ground. And obviously, the thinner it is, the more flexible it's going to be. Uh, I think you you probably don't want to take things too thin. Otherwise, there isn't enough stability behind the edge to, you know, to support the edge as it's cutting through fishbone and scale or cutting off heads or whatever, you know, fish heads, right. that is. Yeah, um, thank you. Thanks for but, Thanks for that. Just, yeah, uh, but I think you've been doing. Haven't you been doing some flexible stuff recently? I actually, I got, I, I ended up getting a piece of sixteenth inch four forty C, and I, I decided that I was going to fool around with a couple different things, and I actually made a very flexible slice, a long, like a, a, a flexible slicer. I might have mentioned it before, but I'll, I'll just go real quick. So I got this piece of 16th inch and I made a thin flexible slicer, the kind that you'd use for like cutting smoked salmon or something like that. Um, sure. Super thin and flexy. So it was the blade itself was maybe 
from the from the spine to the edge, maybe three quarters of an inch maximum, almost five eighths. It's thin. It was, it was this tiny thing, and I heat treated it full uh, full thickness at a sixteenth. I didn't take anything off. Uh, uh, heat treated it with plates. Um, uh, uh, plates and, and air and then when I started grinding it I started to notice because of the the thickness I mean it was only I mean you're talking about a, a three quarters of an inch from the from the spine to the edge it started to get real whippy to the point where and this thing was like maybe 10 inches long it got to the point where I could go all the way around I could do 180 degrees let it go and then it would flip back straight so, Holy I, but it, you're what you're saying is 100%. It was thinner than a 16th by the time I finished grinding it, but it was also the force was is because it was so. If that was two inches, I couldn't do it. If that was a two inch, if it was a two inch, uh, all the way, like a long, like uh, well, one of those slaughtering you, knives, you or something two that, inches today. Yeah, no, look, it's it's cold, <laughs> it's cold over here, it's cold over here in the morning. What can I say? I can't help it. But, you know, if you, the, you know, it is, it is totally the grind and the material and how you heat treat it. But I, I'm actually making, um, I'm making a fillet knife for uh, Tomer. I'm going out to Barcelona in a couple of weeks. I'm oh, making right. him a fillet knife and I'm trying to get a little bit more. It's, it's a little bit thick. It's a little bit wider than three quarters of an inch. And I'm noticing it is not as uh, flexible as that, you know, very thin one. But I mean, that's for. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, it's it's it is interesting because when you talk about it, it is you know the grind is critical. The grind is critical to mm-hmm. taking that material off to making something super flexible. But it's also um, how you heat treat it. I got good is results this, right off the bat with the four forty C. Is this a hamon, like hamon iberico style slicing oh, knife? You know what's funny when you said hamon, I'm like I didn't make this isn't this isn't W two. This is ten ninety five. I'm not making any hamons. <laughs> Yeah, no. This the what I'm going to make him. He he does a lot of cooking, so he so he said to me he doesn't have a, a fillet knife, so I was going to make him a fillet knife. The uh, flexible okay. slicer is. I'm going to try to make more of them because there's not a lot of people making them, and there right. are a lot of culinary guys who are interested. But I was having sure. a hard time because it was so long and thin and flippy. It was actually quite difficult to uh, grind it. So I, I this the way I ground it this time. There's a little bit of. There's a little bit of problems in it that I'm not thrilled about, and the next one is going to be better. But um, it's definitely something I'd like to do. I mean, you know, it would be fun to be able to do more something, you know, I mean, super fl- flexible like that. I mean, it was, I literally, I, I could do it an inc- entire U, let it go, and then it would go oh back God. to straight. It was crazy. Yeah. I, uh, I don't give I, myself, the, I don't give my, I don't give, I didn't do, I didn't, I mean, I lucked into it. I'm not going to sure. p- pretend like I didn't. While I collect or make fancy knives and stuff, I actually collect vintage knives. I really like that. Oh, really? They're old and crusty and crunchy and have like a story to them and a history and use to them. Yeah. I, I love going to like uh, antique shops and vintage shops. And first thing I do is find cooking knives. But uh, I, ha- I have an old Henkel's knife that's probably from the 50s or 60s. It's carbon steel and it's a slicer. And the edge is all messed up and stuff yeah. from them just not knowing what the hell they're doing, whoever was doing the slicing. But, you know, you're not working on a board normally when you're using those long, flexible knives. Right. You're, you're slicing. Um, you're, like, doing stuff. I guess you don't – It's you're not reliant on the edge being in full contact along the board, I guess, more so. That's um, right. And that that thing is – it's – like right there, like just under a sixteenth, and it you can do the same thing. Bend it basically right in half, 
and have it spring back. It's crazy. The one that I got from my dad that I, I, I stole from my dad um, had a hollow grind in it. And I wonder if that helped. I wonder if, you know, because with a thin knife, especially if it's like, you know, those thin slicers are only, you know, like I said, five eighths or 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 uh, five eighths or three quarters maximum. You need to a hollow grind does help the geometry because you're really trying to like make up for the fact you can do a flat grind the whole way. You're you have a lot more material and it's not going to be as flexible. Sure. So I think the I mean, hollow grind definitely helps a little bit. Yeah, the hollow grind creates kind of like an I beam cross section in right. a way, and so it just the way it dis. The, it kind of, I don't know, disperses stress and um, tension is very different from if it was flat ground or even convex ground. And um, I think that, yeah, I, I would imagine that helps it spring right back really nicely too. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. Next one is from BB's, uh, wait, BB's and Knives. Man, yeah. we are butchering everybody's name No, today. you got that one right. You got that one right. <laughs> okay. I was going to say BBs on knives at first. It <laughs> doesn't matter. You know, these guys want to give us these weird names, and they give us these weird names. We're going to say them weird, so don't worry it's about it. It's on you, yeah. Okay, he says, as a new maker who struggles with handle profiling, what are your suggestions on how to get better at profiling, and what tips do you have uh, on the process? So he's having problems. He's having, He's struggling with handle profiling. Like, he's having problems with the basic handle profiling. So, hmm. um, oh, one oh. thing I learned when I was forging, and before I was ever making knives and I was a blacksmith, when I, we were forging um, just simple forging materials, we were, the introductory things, we were learning how to forge from uh, making a, a square stock into a round stock. And this was so critical to me with everything that I made it basically use this for everything. Basically, what you're doing is once you get it to square, you're going to break the corners. And when you break the corners, that means you're hitting it on the diamond, and then you're actually turning it from four sides into eight sides. And then what happens is then you're hitting those eight side, those, those, those diamonds, and that's how you're making it round. So when, especially when you're using a power hammer, you're taking a power hammer class, they're going to tell you to go from square to round, you break the corners, and then you break the corners again. That's how I carve or, or sculpt the handles. I always start from square. Like when I, when I, um, the right, when, after I, I'm all glued up, I, I cut off my Corby's so they're flat with the, the sides of the knives for a full, for a, a full tang knife. And then I make the faces of the, the handles, I make the sides square. I make the whole thing square. Then I start to break the corners and then I break them again. It's just a mindset for me that helps me to be consistent. And then when I, th you know, once I, you know, make it my, I mean, my handles aren't, anything special I, I just i they're almost like a, i like them more like an oval because i feel like it gives you a little bit more control and you're squeezing sure. less if it's super round i think you're gonna end up squeezing less squeezing more which puts pressure on your wrist um so i'm a big fan of thinking it the simplest way which is starting from square breaking the corners breaking the corners again and then slowly slowly you have a rounded um or so radius yeah. radius contour what do you think yeah uh so when i first read it in my in my lexicon uh profiling to me simply means cutting out the profiling but it sounds like uh he's looking for like the overall all the right. various contours and shapes and stuff like that uh those those are very challenging and i actually part of the reason i developed 
my Japanese cowboy handle is because what I was doing is I was cutting in hard facets, just as you were describing, and then blending those facets together. But um, and so I uh, I basically got nothing to add to what you do. Um, my my blocks aren't usually perfectly. Uh, square what I do is I kind of eyeball down the length of my blade and mark on the handle because I do the hidden tang um, So I don't have a tang to kind of act as my center line to square things up So I have to kind of mark out a center line and I just make sure sure that the the belly side of the handle is instant or kind of yeah centered uh, With that center line and then I do the th same on the spine side. I just kind of eyeball and mark out a spot uh, you know I, I actually, I've started using a, a six inch, I have a little six inch metal ruler and that, and that helps kind of extend the spine into the handle so I can just mark out the center line and the, and the spine side of the handle oh, pretty cool. nicely. And, um, and then I'm, I, I center the block um, off of that line. Basically, I just take calipers and I measure the shallow, whichever side is closest to the center line. I measure that side and then mark the difference from the other side. And that's it. <laughs> Like nothing, isn't nothing scientific there. The other thing is, is a lot of people use the different platens on their grinders to make the different profiles. Like, oh yeah, for sure. I know that when I when I'm gr when I'm grinding my the bot, you know, my knives at the butt end, they kind of like break. There's a little bit of like a radius uh, between the butt end and, on the belly side in the middle that actually fits my two inch contact wheel. So I'm using yeah. the contact wheel for the specific spots. And I know that a lot of people use uh, a big contact wheel, like a nine inch contact wheel when they want to do uh, the Coke bottle style handles. Mm -hmm. where they're actually using mm -hmm. the profiles of the platens to kind of create their, um, they're, they're, you know, like, as we probably, you probably know, if you have like a lot, a lot going on, the bottom of your knife is going to be very difficult to shape on a flat platen. So you have to kind of right. think about different tools that will, you know, uh, accentuate and, and, uh, what's the right word? Fuck. The right word is fuck. So fuck your handles. <laughs> no, it's I, I was trying to figure out the the like the accommodates or I I can't think of the goddamn right word. Craig, where are you? Goddamn you! I it's just you know use the different contact wheels and the different plats uh, plates and kind of figure out what works for you to make what you need to do 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 do. Go fuck. That's it. Go fuck your handles up. Yeah, yeah. Let's Holy do another shit. one and then. Um, We'll break for a commercial and then we'll blah blah blah. All right, so let's. This one is for our boy. This is this is not. Well, he ain't a boy. He a big guy. This is Rick Hall knives. Rick's a good dude. We met Rick at Blade. It was a good dude. He says, "Hey man, can I ask you a question? What is one thing you would change if you could about knife making or knife makers? What would you change? That's a good question, Rick. What would you change about knife making or knife makers?" I got nothing. I got nothing right now. I would say. Yeah, what would I change? Yeah, I would. Let's hear what I you would. Got. I not a change, but I would encourage people to enjoy the journey. I would encourage mm. people to enjoy the learning process and not be so uh, impatient about becoming master bladesmiths. I, I think that um, I think it's important to enjoy the learning process and to not look. I said I met these kids at the blade show. 
Jack Henry, uh, uh, Will Freeman, uh, Jordan Lamoth, all these guys who are so much younger than me, who are a thousand times more talented than I am. And I have no problem saying that. And I didn't get discouraged at all. I don't give a fuck. These kids are kids. Let them, you know, let them enjoy their lives. They're doing an amazing job. I am happy to be a student for life. I will be learning till the day I die. I'll be a member of the ABS and I might never, I might never test for the, I might never test it ever just because it doesn't really fit my thing. I think that the hardest part is, is everybody wants to be Liam Hoffman or everybody wants to be Mareko Mamasi. Everybody wants that fast. Everybody wants that, you know, the get to your level on the quick side instead of just like allowing the evolution to happen and to just appreciating the fact that we are a good community that everybody's very supportive of for the most part. And that, you know, look, every day you just strive to get better and enjoy that, yeah. that buildup. That's the only thing. And I wouldn't, other than that, it just, you know, and it's hard to say. It's easy for you to say, Fader. But to say, you know, me, I'm 45. And I, in my mind, I'm like, if it don't work in the next five years, I'm going back in the shop. You know, so I think, yeah. I think just patience and, enjoying it enjoying it more and not worrying so much about customers and not worrying about all this stuff that's extraneous to you getting better right yeah i think it's it's easy to look at you know the whole green grass is greener on the other side but and forget that you know i've been making knives for 10 years like that's not a, a small amount of time a long time and it's a long time and it takes, you know, it takes time to build up skills and what I'm doing now, there's no way I could have done this even, you know, it's six years ago. Um, so it's, you know, exactly as Jeff was saying, you got to enjoy the journey and, and, and be willing to, for it to take time. And if you're worried about making money, maybe don't quit your day job quite yet. <clears throat> yeah. Keep keep the knives on the side, keep progressing, keep getting better until you can get to the point where you can get where you're getting paid or feel like you're getting paid for 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 the work that you're doing in your knives, and then maybe think about quitting your day job. But until then, don't do that. I think but, the hardest part is probably yeah. the fact that when somebody makes a knife and they figure out how to make it and they're proud and they're satisfied and they get that feeling yeah. like this is great, you start to get the feeling of, you know what, maybe I could do this for a living. I just need to get mm-hmm. better. And the impatience comes from this concept of I'm not getting better fast enough or I'm getting frustrated too fast or I'm not as good as that guy or that guy, I was, you know, I can't compete yeah. against that guy or I'm not better than that guy or these people don't think I'm better than that guy. And I think that it becomes very stressful in something that should be not stressful. Unfortunately, it's easier said than done. Sure. My thing, <clears throat> I don't know what the hell is going on with don't my throat today. Don't worry about it. Listen, it's that, it's, the northwest, it's that northwestern air. The northwest air. It's a lot of moisture up here. And you were probably on um, a plane for a long time, coming back from Blades, so there you go. Yeah, uh, sitting around a bunch of nasty people. Mm. No, um, <laughs> I think uh, to my answer to Rick's question, you know, what what's one thing I would change? I, I wish, uh, what I would really like to change is, or is to, would like people's paradigm to kind of shift and what i mean by that is just like they're kind of their mindset especially some uh, some of the old guard the old dogs the people with that really you know years and years and years of experience 20 30 50 60 years i mean neil coming is out working with steve schwarzer right now and he is an incredible pool of knowledge and um 
and uh, you know he's he's one of he's one of the OGs out there, and I think it's amazing that he is opening his shop up and still willing to share and teach, and um, I guess, I, and I think there are a lot of makers who see the social media, uh, see social media, and they see myself or other people sharing techniques, and they they're like, oh, what are you doing? You shouldn't be sharing that. But the reality is, like, we live in a very different world than you know even. T- 10 years or 20 years ago um, in the knife making world where it's easier to connect to customers. It's just the, the work is up to you to do that. Um, and, you know, sometimes Blade Show is a place to do it, but those the platforms change. And now the opportunity is to ca- connect with millions of people through uh, face, uh, Facebook and Instagram and whatnot. And I think I just, I, I, I wish, I wish, especially the older dogs who have, so much to share and have such a uh, and I have an opportunity to leave such a strong legacy um would would recognize that we live in a different day and age and that um and that sharing is caring and wow. I think you know rising tide what is the whole saying about rising tides and yeah, lifting raises all, boat, all sh- the boats the lifting yeah. of the boats I am fascinated it, yeah. by what you just said because I actually been talking to Jesse Savage about this a lot and sure. It is interesting, and I do know that a lot of people are like, "Don't give away the techniques." Don't give away. the blacksmithing world. When I, back in when I was younger, and I was at the Center for Metal Arts, there was such a there was an opinion about blacksmiths from other blacksmiths is they didn't want to share information because part of it is because I don't know people worried about their job security, or whatever, and there was this lack of information. And in my mind, I was just like, "Well, people don't even know what you're doing." People have no idea what's going on, and if 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 I can give some information out that gets people interested or pique their interest in regards to how you can do it and then direct you to the place where you can learn how to do it, then that's better for the industry because let's face it i mean the black i mean blacksmithing is they didn't it's not a it's not something that's uh been widely sh- i mean it after the industrial revolution there hasn't been a whole lot of use for blacksmiths. You know, the way right. uh, one of the things that uh, Uri Hoffa used to say is we need to figure out a way to be more innovative because now what kind of construction needs ornamental ironwork? You know, in, in a city that's all bronze and glass and stainless steel cladding, they're not, they don't need, I, at one point I thought, well, maybe we can make, uh, maybe we can re- uh, redo how we see fire escapes. Well, they don't need fire escapes mm-hmm. anymore. You, you've got to figure out a way to be more innovative. And the problem is it all goes by the wayside. You had twenty. You had a hundred years to make this. You know, to 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 get people involved, and you're you you're out. You're out. You you kind of ruined it. So I when I when I <laughs> see people, what I try to do is and 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 I I kind of got a little bit of problems from. I posted a picture of the integral progression that I learned watching uh, uh, Nick Rossi. I'd heard I'd heard that somebody was not nothing to do with the New England School of Metalwork or anything like that, but somebody was like, ah, you shouldn't give it all away. I I intentionally promoted, and I always promote, the New England School of Metalwork, Nick Rossi. If you want to learn how to do this, you go see him. I try to promote Pat Quinn in the Center for Metal Arts. I try to push people to the schools. You give them a taste and say, all right, you want to do this? Here's where you go. And I think that there needs to be some sort of... I understand where a lot of people are being like, you know, you shouldn't, you know, you can't just learn on YouTube. 
Or, you know, it isn't right to learn on YouTube. It isn't right to learn on Instagram and Facebook. And I understand that. But there has to be a way that we can figure out to not only give people a taste of what we're doing, because they have no idea. If people ask me, can you melt me down a knife and make me a new one? They say that. Melt me down. <laughs> it's like there's no concept. People don't understand what forging is. People have no understanding what any of it is. So we've got to figure out a way to make it interesting and then send them to the right people. That's the reason why when I was the CIA, when I was doing the CIA thing at the last day, I was like, I'm not, I didn't invent knives. I didn't invent this technique. These are who the guys inspire me. If you like this, watch what they do. And I think that yeah. that's an important way for us to bridge the gap between, you know, uh, 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 young guys, new guys, and the whole thing. I, I, I'm kind of like with the blacksmiths in general, a some of them are, you know, the, some of them bitch and moan about like, oh, you know, we only want uh, professional blacksmiths. We're not interested in, in amateur blacksmiths. It's like, you don't fuck yourself. You had your chance and you blew it. Don't complain when someone's if somebody who only in their on their weekends makes bottle openers, they want to come see what you're doing. Let them come see what you're doing cuz you know what? You don't have much I mean, listen, a band has got 3,000 members. Let's let's just be clear. You know, you need to do whatever it takes to get people in the door because it's you're going to dry up. And if you don't embrace these new techniques of 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 figuring out how th this information gets out, you're going to you're going to go by the wayside. Period. The, when, I, when I was doing the CIA, the people of the social media department, you're going to believe that you can't believe this, but the social media department said to me, we just developed the social media department of the CIA in January of this year. This is the first time we ever had this part of the marketing department because the old people, the older uh, teachers and the older uh, uh, people involved with the school, they just didn't think that it was worth it. They thought it was a fad and they didn't realize that that's how people see things. So you kind of <sighs> need to like, I mean, yeah. it's true. It's true. This is the yeah. best culinary school in the world. And now in January, they finally got together uh, a social media department. So yeah. there has to be some sort of there has to be some sort of like middle ground where we say, look, this stuff's going to die if you don't figure it out. You know, right. and 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 uh, there you go. I got you got my blood pumping. But Good. I think it's I think it's important to be respectful. <laughs> I think it's important to be respectful. I think it's important to be respectful for the people. And I always try to whenever I put something up, I give credit to whoever I learn it from. I don't pretend like I developed any of this stuff because I haven't. Sure. So all right, I want to take a minute to talk about our sponsor, uh, Combat Abrasives. If you go to combatabrasives.com and type in Knife Talk 10, that will save you 10% on anything you buy from them. And that includes epoxies, handle materials, all kinds of abrasives, abrasive discs. They actually, they, uh, Combat is the, the retail uh, kind of like the face of the brand for actually Maverick uh, abrasive manufacturers. And they make abrasives for all kinds of industries and so if you're not seeing on their website something that you think they should have or, or or that you need but they just they don't have it on that site get a hold of them give them a call because they have a lot more than what they're just showing there they're, the combat is kind of like it's it's the knife making side of the abrasives that they offer but they offer all kinds of stuff for auto body um boat all kinds of industries and stuff like that so anyways uh, get a hold of them. They've been an awesome supporter of this show, and you guys have been really great about tagging yourself up, um, or sorry, tagging them up and tagging us up. So when you get some stuff, make sure you tag us. We'll share it back out. But again, go to combatabrasives.com. 
Type in Knife Talk 10 at checkout and you will save 10% on anything and everything you buy from That's them. It. Good guys. Good guys over there. All right. Very, let's very do good. a couple more questions then we'll, okay. you know. Uh, this one, I'm hopping back. Uh, this one's from Josh Hyatt. He asks, hey, man, can I ask you a question? How does Koa work? You know, all that stuff is curly and shiny and three-dimensional. Can you under, do you understand what that chatoyance, <laughs> the word chatoyance, and why does that happen? I, I have no idea why it happens. I just like it. I, it looks pretty. That's I, all. I, <laughs> I did. I'm simple. I, that's fine. I, well, broad strokes is the way to be. I, I did look it up uh, on Wikipedia, and it said that it has to do with the pressure of har- certain hardwoods and the burls, the knots, and these kind of like deformities, and then the something to do with the oil. Interesting. There you go, yeah. fucking Josh. That was a terrible answer, but you know what? We're not wood. We we do the best we can here with what we got. Let's uh, let's go on to uh, let me uh, blah 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 blah. Let's be let's pretend that one never happened. All right, Troop A Knives <laughs> says, "Hey man, can I ask you a question?" Oh, by the way, Craig, don't cut that one out. That's some bullshit right there. It's a good bullshit. So Troop A Knives <laughs> asks, "Hey man, can I ask you a question? How do you keep your knives straight in the quench?" I mostly do stock removal and leave the edges pretty thick before heat treatment, but after the quench, I always they always come out warped, and I have to straighten them in the temper. So, how do you keep your knives straight when you're quenching? So, for me, I uh, I almost never have to straighten a blade, and part of it, especially for I, I, I'm heat treating pretty much only a high carbon steel but it's the thermal cycling like i was talking about before where thermal cycling after forging uh to normalize and then i do a quench on my third cycle and then i do the subcritical anneal at 1250 for at least a half an hour um and let it and then let it cool down either with the kiln or just into out in the ambient air um and then do my grinding whatever i need to do to uh to prepare it for uh, for heat treat, and then I go into final hardening, and it comes out basically <laughs> pretty much dead nut straight every time. Um, I will warn people if you're heat treating out of a kiln, something to account for uh, when you're doing your final grinding uh, after you've hardened is the decarb layer that exists on the surface, especially if you just did it in the open air. Um, when you are grinding and you have uh, you have a decarb layer on your steel. It it can come out of heat treat and the hardening and, and tempering dead not dead not straight. But then you start grinding on it one side, and then it starts uh, catching a warp. And you think, oh shit, I gotta go straighten this. So you go straighten it, and then it's straight again. You go grind the other side, and it catches a warp again. And that's because that is there's a layer of decarburized material uh, on the surface of that. And I've fought this so many times until I realized what it was. And now I just I just take my time to grind uh, evenly on both sides without getting too freaked out until I until I know that I've gotten through that decarb layer. Decarb layer is usually only maybe 10, 15 thousandths of an inch, um, especially if you haven't been soaking the blade for crazy times. Uh, so, you know, as long as you're only doing like, you know, five or 10 minutes soak, which for most high carbon steels is plenty, um, you know, you, you won't have enough, or you won't have a lot to get through, but when you bef- don't get too freaked out until you've gotten th- through it, um, before you start trying to temper stuff, or, or uh, I guess, straighten things out. There is another thing. When yes. let's just say, let's just say, 
you're you're I I I I read this or I watched a Kevin Cashin video, and what he did was he intentionally put a blade that was not a hundred percent. It was a it was a little bit warped, and he quenched it a little bit warped. It was he knew it was you know, one of the things that you really want to do is you want to make sure that it's in the oven or in your kiln or whatever you want it straight all the time. That's a blacksmithing thing. You, if it, it's got to be ready to roll when you put it in, you don't want to have to fix it. Um, sure. And he actually he quenched this knife in oil and he counted like thirteen or eighteen. He came down a certain amount of I know. Jonathan Porter's killing me because he gave me the number. He told me to use a, a laser heat gun to, to tell the temperature. There's this window where the austenite is still converting over to martensite. And he, I think, I mean, I count, ugh, he's going to kill me on Monday. That's fine. So, so, um, <laughs> so I count to like uh, 1518 and then I pull it out and it's still warm enough that with my welding gloves on, I can straighten it a little bit if there's a little bit of problems. That sure. has been something that has been huge to me in terms of like you have this little window. I think it's under nine hundred degrees. Jonathan's gonna kill me. He's gonna fucking kill me. No, nope, that's it. Nine hundred. Yeah, you want to get no, below oh, nine hundred? Thank God. So, so you get it below <laughs> nine hundred, and then you have a little bit of root. You have a small window in which you can straighten it, and then yeah. finish quenching it. The other thing is, is when you normalize your knife, that takes out so much stress. And what I do is when I'm normalizing. I'm actually pulling it out with two. Every time I pull it out, I pull it out with two pairs of tongs, and I look down the barrel while it's hot, and then I straighten in. I straighten easy every single cycle. So by the last time, by the last, third cycle, it comes out of the oven super straight. The other thing is, sure. is, if you pull it out, if you pull your knife out sideways, like flat, the weight of it is going to make it. <laughs> the weight of it is going to make it bend. You know, you you, you yeah. gotta like be real, you know, be very aware about how you pull it out. I actually, when I'm doing stainless steel, I do the same thing. I do something that a lot of people don't do. I, I foil my knives, I pull them out, I quench them for, you know, I usually count I with air under plates, and then after there's no color, and I usually count to like once again fifteen, eighteen. I actually cut them out of the of the. A foil hot, and then the same thing. I look down the barrel, and the austenite is still converting over to martensite, and I still have a little bit of room to play if I don't have to to, to straighten it before the final quench. I hate shim tempering knives. Um, yeah, I hate it. I hate it because I've, I've actually never broke, done it. It's a that's a that's a well, you know, God bless you. It, it's a it's a it's a actually it is a great way to fix a temper, a fix a, a fix a blade after the fact. You take a piece of steel, maybe you put like a a, a coin in it. You overflex it with some th small, tiny uh, clamps, and you clamp it so it's over. You overcorrect the warp, and then you put it in the oven, clamps and all, and then you let it cool down, ice cold, and that does fix it after the fact. Uh, let's see. This last one is from FBS. What? SBG knives. <laughs> what do you use for knife vice, or what fixtures do you use for hand sanding? That's a good one. Yeah, I my question, my answer is pretty dumb. I just use a two by four and I clamp it. Nothing dumb to about that. My, my knife to my two by four. I do have, uh, so I have it laying on the. I'll clamp the two by four either against a table or in a vise, and I'll have the flat side facing up. And what I do have is a little. Uh, I think it's like a half inch piece of plywood that I cut into the shape of the profile of the knife. 
that I rested the knife on. And then I also use another uh, shim of wood at the other end because I have the integral bolsters on my knives. And so I have to sh kind of shim up the blade a little bit to to avoid the bolster being in contact with the tube, the surface of the 2x4. Yeah. And sometimes I also use leather in there to help shim it out. Um, but anyhow, and then I just use a quick grip and clamp it to it. And uh, that piece of plywood raises the blade up off the 2x4 enough so that I have enough clearance to properly sand the blade edge and all the way from the edge to spine and everything. Uh, but it, what's most important about that is that it it has a flat surface that I can't accidentally... Like, the blade isn't floating out in the middle of of everything. I, I can't walk and accidentally like impale or slash or stab myself with that the knife while i'm hand sanding it because they do get damn sharp especially if you're it's on chef's knives or really any knife if you're hand sanding uh, down to that edge you you are effectively uh, especially if it's a zero bevel you're sharpening that damn thing as you are hand sanding it right. and it can get it could get you it'll get you but uh i just use two by four i keep it simple I started with the 2x4 and then I would cut, because I like to hand sand with my file guide on because I like to keep, mm. one of the things about my knives, I like I like a plunge line, but I, especially with the stainless steel, I like the mill scale between, I like the the, the contrast between the, the satin finish, the mill scale and yeah. the handle. So I usually yeah. hand sand with my file guide on just to keep it so I don't make sure I don't like ruin that. I started to. I took a two by four and I actually cut out to so the uh, file guide would would sit flat. Then I started to do the two by four, and then I would put a um, I would put a piece of plywood on both sides of in between the where the um, where the file guide would fit, and then yeah. I made the front part. If you take the profile of your blade both sides, I would make a, a like a like a like a spear almost a spear so I could fit my my knife on and flip it over and the edge was protected so I would I would be protected against the edge and it sits flat and then I actually I cut out a little notch in the back so I could easily clamp uh the knife to the two by four so I, I you know what I'll, I'll put a picture up to, on Monday uh to 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 the kind of uh the um decks sanding decks I I have I actually once I got a, a sanding deck from uh, Ed Braun, Ailey Forge. I don't think he's doing him anymore, but he actually used a piece of micarta, and then he put set screws all the way through. So it would mm. you could push up the oh, mic. Yeah. You should put you could push the micarta up, and then that way yeah. you're actually supporting the distal taper, and it, it's great. And right. it, it, it was awesome, and it, and it was just something that like uh, there's a lot of people trying to figure out ways in which to get your knife as supported as possible. And I like the two by four method. You know, I think that I think that being you know creative and figuring out ways in which to 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 um, to hand sand safely, but also like you know how is it going to work best for you is is the best. Um, one thing I do want, and it's not for hand sanding, but I won't want to get one of those knife uh, handle vices. Those vices, or I want to oh, make yeah. one. I want to make one. It's like a two-inch tube, and then you put in uh, two pieces of half round, so your knife gets held in by the half round wood, and then it swivels around. I want to get one of those at some point because I'm tired of changing my changing from a flat. I'm tired of dealing with my goddamn vice. Be honest with you, it's just annoying. Yeah. Those wood, those pieces of wood usually have a little bit of leather on them, right? To help protect, right, uh, right. protect the faces, faces right. of the blade. But I, I cannot, yeah, those are. 
It was pretty handy, especially when imagine. they spin all the way around. Yeah. I could not imagine putting it in without it. All of a sudden, you pull the knife out, you got all these scratches in it from uh, from the wood. Yeah. All right. Well, now here we are. We've talked about our grinders. We've talked about our belts. Now we're going to talk about the New Jersey Steel Baron. This is the place where you get your steel. New Jersey Steel Baron is a family-run business in New Jersey. Uh, Pete Bruno and the gang. It's a family business. These are people who love what they do. They sell all sorts of steel, different sizes, different alloys. All the steel is marked on where they got it. The heat treat batch it came from, the new, wherever it came from, whatever foundry it came from, whatever, whatever it came from, they have all the certificates to back up this steel. If you go to their website, they're still working on the new website. I'm sure it's going to be coming soon, but they're, they're, they're working on it. What can I tell you? They have a knife maker on board, Dale, who has an awesome knife shop. So not only are these guys, uh, steel guys, but they make knives with their steel too. So if they have any, pro if you have a problem, you have a question, I'm sure they can answer it 100. They also on their website they have if you wanted to try something new out, they will give you the heat treating uh, instructions on their website, which is super super important. I think it's great if you wanted to try something. I'm always afraid. I've always wanted to try uh, CRV. What's that Crew Forge V? I've always wanted to try that. I might go get myself a stick and 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 uh, talk to them about how you do it. Um, it's definitely worth going to the New Jersey Steel Baron. Um, they're good people. They support knife businesses and knife people. And there you go. New Jersey Steel Baron. Go get yourself some steel. Sweet. All right. So there's that. And then, uh, all right. So now this is the time we're going to change up the way we do Craig's community showcase. We're not going to do the 30 seconds anymore because we want to give a little bit more love to these people who deserve it. So... Craig's Community Showcase. Today, I have Mr. Michael Tyree. Mike Tyree is from Arizona. He's a, kind of a little bit in the northern side, in the mountains where it's nice and green, but he's a great guy. I first met him at the Eugene show uh, in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, shoot, I think about four or five years ago. And uh, he came up to me. It was just after, actually, I was on Forged and Fire the first time. And he just had a big smile on his face. He's like, man, you did really great. And I was, I had seen his work. And uh, I, I didn't know who he was, though. And uh, he entered, so we chatted a bit. And I, all I could think is, like, this guy's work is fucking insane. Why is he talking to me about being on Forged and Fire? Uh -huh. Like, it didn't feel worthy. I was like... <laughs> I, I'm this guy is on a completely different level for me. And again, this is when I first started out, basically on my own. Um, and uh, what, like five, five or six years ago, I started on my own. So this was a couple of years afterwards. And he, again, he's just—he's a phenomenal knife maker. He comes from uh, kind of the, uh, the the lineage of Mister uh, Tim Hancock who is a knife maker from Arizona, who is um, very, very highly respected, highly regarded. He's, uh, he's a living legend. He unfortunately uh, doesn't really do a whole lot of knife making anymore, um, but he has really inspired some of the best in the business, Michael Quisenberry, Mike Tyree, Nick Travis Ro Wirtz. Uh, Nick, Nick Wheeler talks about him all the time. Nick Wheeler, phenomenal. So anyways, it, uh, Tim Hancock's a uh, really great guy and a very inspiring person, and he helped bring, um, or I guess, bring people up and level people like Mr. Mike Tyree up. And I just want to give him a shout out. Check him out on Instagram. His it's M I K E T Y R E knives, and uh, 
He's a very, very inspiring maker and a very good guy. There you go. Nice. I'm going to check him out as soon as we're finished this. Well, I'd like to give a big shout out to a young man who is incredibly impressive. His name's Colin Miller. It's Colin underscore Miller underscore Bladesmith. This young man, I met him at the Blade Show, and I tell you what, he is a swordsmith. I don't, we don't talk about sword makers very much, but this guy, no. he's this young man. He looks, he's a sweet young boy, and he makes these incredible swords. Uh, these swords are like very traditional. He's He makes these beautiful swords, a lot of Celtic stuff. He does culinary stuff. He's got an incredible, yeah. he's got an incredible, for such a young man, he's got an incredible uh, a breadth of knowledge and, and his work is just super stunning. And, you know, he just seems like he's a happy guy. He had a smile on his face. Um, he always had a smile. I don't think I saw him without a smile on his face. <laughs> yeah, he was just a super kid, and, and he, he's the kind of guy who makes me want to work harder because I love these young guys, and I think that they're just they're just so fantastic. And what he's working with, these giant swords, and I know he took a picture with you, and you were lifting up one of his swords, and I, I don't touch, yeah. but they looked amazing. And he's also the one who took the picture of uh, Will Stelter holding the sword and me giving the bird in the background. So. Yeah, he his swords are pretty phenomenal. I uh, that sword that I was thrusting up into the air was pretty incredible. I, I the balance, the way it felt, it was it, it's 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 awesome when somebody gets a sword right. A lot of folks unfortunately are mis misunderstand and think that swords are crazy heavy. Um, and they really aren't actually if <laughs> if anybody's trying to be historically accurate um the the weapons most uh, most often swords large swords swords even only really weighed maybe two and a half to three pounds huh. and you gotta think about swinging those things around if you're actually using them uh to defend yourself and in battle or whatever um you gotta swing it around for a long period of time and if it weighs to even 10 pounds but a lot of folks uh, when i worked at dragon's breath forge people were like oh i want a 20 pound sword and 20 pound like, sword you're out, you out of your fucking mind <laughs> you're not using that for anything because real swords only weighed a couple pounds and so, well, and his his felt perfect. It was awesome. It, well, it it's surreal feeling the weight of those swords when they're properly balanced and everything. And let's but, let's yeah. let's hope people aren't actually using swords nowadays. Yeah, I don't really need. Let's it. hope not. Let's just hope. I mean, you know, maybe give them a yeah. I got a fifty pound sword for you. You're never gonna pick it up. Maybe that's better. There's, I think I saw an article. Some kid pulled out a, a samurai sword on a subway to like defend somebody who is being like accosted. Recently, yeah, like within the last year. That is that is a uh, that's a Bernie Getz dude was just that's rolling. A, that's a Bernie Getz move. You know who Bernie Getz was? This nah. is now I'm really showing my age. In the early '80s, <laughs> after uh, the movies uh, Death Wish and like Dirty oh, Harry, sure. this guy yeah. who is nerdy little guy decided that he was gonna he wanted to be like Death Wish. He wanted to be like Charles Bronson, and so he got a gun and he went into the subways. And then he was looking for. He actually, I, I we, it seems as though he might have, um, he might have uh, uh, initiated contact with some kids who were trying to like, you know, being a little bit tough on the subway. You know, these were these were. Yeah. It's very not. It's not black and white whether or not whether or not these were bad kids <laughs> or not. That he might have initiated a, an instance that he pulled a gun out and he shot this guy. 
and he oh, ended up Jesus. getting he it, he it was a crazy story because it was like literally like ripped from the pages of a dirty harry movie where where he's i think he might have even said go ahead make my day so that, that oh my these, these 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 uh these i think that this whole concept of vigilantism is yeah. uh is uh 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 quite a mistake so I think keep the, you know, let's just not pull up, you know, let's not get on the subway and, you know, if your EDC is a fucking sword. And it's just like, let's just, <laughs> let's just relax a little bit here, man. Come on, man. This is like, we're trying to, you know, gotta get a, get yourself a coffee and go to your job. <laughs> I'm seriously, I mean, I don't know what's, yeah. look, but I'm with you. I Listen, you want to go take it, just don't go on the subway with it. Please, no. police. All right. Um, well, now's our time for our beefs. So this is the chance where we complain about something. It's usually meaningless, or maybe it's not meaningless. So, Mareko, do you have any beefs today? Uh, if you start, I'm sure I can figure something <laughs> out. <laughs> You're gonna, I was talking <laughs> the same thing. All right. My beef, is, my beef is with me. My beef is with 100% with me. And this week, I was fucking mad at myself. And the reason why is because I did this takeover. The content was good. I got a lot of really good feedback. I got a lot of really good feedback from not only the school, the the vice president of marketing over there was happy, and everyone's happy. We're going to do some collaborations. There's going to be more. I'm not done. The CIA ain't done with me, and that's what I'm happy about. I'm pissed at myself because I was doing this integral knife, and because the way I do it, I don't see the whole thing until it's kind of finished. And I was running mm. on the deadline. I wasn't looking. I was not looking. And I just, I took the picture. I was so tired. I was so exhausted. I just put it up on the, the CIA Instagram page. And that night I looked at it. I'm like, what the, why does that knife look so fucking weird to me? And I, the transition between the heel and the, and the uh, bolster, the, where the, the, the heel, where you put your f- first finger and the edge, it was rounded. It got me fucking crazy. And I realized this was a, a total oversight that I wouldn't have done if I wasn't on this crazy deadline. And I was mad at myself. And my beef was, I don't normally do this. And I didn't really, I kind of like, I got swept up in the moment and my eyes, eyes weren't, I wasn't paying attention the way I normally would, and I let something go up, and I, and I decided I wasn't going to take it down either. I said I was going to talk about it. So, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't happy. I fixed it, and I put it on my uh, Instagram page to the point where I love it, but it was a small oversight that I didn't think about, and I was mad. I was mad and sickened. I was sickened a little bit that I allowed it to happen. So, look... What can you do? You you learn. You I take learned. it easy on yourself. Wow, take, take it, it easy. easy on yourself. But at the same time, it's just like you know, you 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 know how it is. You know how yeah. it is to 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 want something to go right. And you know, if I had if I had if I was a bladesmith and I was looking at that knife on the CA web page, I was like, why does it look like that? And I, that's that's how I felt. And I was just like, you know what? I I, sh- I was stupid, and I wasn't paying attention. And I'm really actually to the point where I'm like, I ain't doing this shit again. Which I know, well, because it's like, you know, that was a, hopefully I learned from it and I I don't look, I look before I leap, but I was so tired that, um, yeah, I made a, I didn't, and I was literally like, I was down to the wire in terms of, you know, I wanted it to be done at five o'clock on whatchamacallit. And if I had, you know, I fucking jumped past a step that I shouldn't have jumped past and I was not paying attention and I was mad at myself. There you go. Beef is with me. Fuck me. 
I mean, no, don't, don't. I take that back. <laughs> don't pass. fuck me. Yeah, thank you. I, I take that back. I should have. That was a total miss. That was a miss. That was a misstated thing that I'm sure that I'm going to regret saying I'm listening to. So don't. Just leave me alone. That's the answer. Leave me alone. I fucked up. I don't know what. That's the. I'm even madder at myself for saying fuck me over saying, say, doing the fucking knife thing because I'm so stupid. So uh, stupid. So stupid. I think, uh, I I gotta say I got a, a beef with myself actually a little bit. Um, I'll, I'll I'll join you on that. In that, I I just I have this horrible. I keep we keep talking about organization and all this kind of shit, and I just I I've always struggled with procrastinating. Yeah, like my entire life, I've been a chronic procrastinator, and um. I've been trying to figure out what my problem is and trying to like intellectually like what the hell is my issue and realistically all I got to do is stop asking myself stupid questions try, just I just got to fucking start working and I've been finding that if I just start working and actually I think um, Jonathan Porter he did a podcast a little while back and um, he, one uh, I can't remember some, some company down in Oregon. Or down in Florida. Oh, it was, but anyway, he, he was. talked about it a little bit himself. And he said, you just got to get to work. You know, instead of stopping and pondering on what, or on, you know, what you need to do or what you should be doing or what you'd rather be doing, shut the hell up and just get out of your head and just start working. And once you start spending a few minutes on whatever you need, you really should be doing, then it's less, I guess, I don't know, it's less of a pain point. It's less of a struggle. You just got to get to it. Um, but I've... I'm always battling that myself, um, and I'm glad it's it's been kind of a bummer having struggling with the connection at the shop because I, I haven't been able to readily share what I'm doing um, every day in day out right. at the shop recently. Um, but at the same time, it keeps me from <laughs> spending too much time right. on the Instagrams. Right. Um, because it's easy. It's a, it's a black hole. It's so easy to get sucked into it. I do the same thing at night, too. I should be going to bed, and I'm looking at a stupid phone. And then all of a sudden, it's 1 o'clock, and I'm going to, you know, my son gets up at 6.30 every morning, no matter what time I go to bed. Yeah. And so I'm like, I need, what am I doing? I should be asleep right now. So Procrastination stop. is so yeah. hard. And it's like one of those things, it's, it's gripping. It's totally gripping, and I know this because I come from a family, half my family are incredible procrastinators, and it's like to the point where they almost give themselves reason to procrastinate. Like It's like almost like this not taking responsibility for your actions and allowing, the, wow, I couldn't do this because mm. of this, and, and, sure. and it got to the point where my other side of the family are like work till, you know, like crazy, like you're, you don't get any satisfaction until you've like destroyed yourself so I, the hardest thing for me was to fight both those things and i had to come up with i, I said this a number of months ago i had to have a game plan for the day and the week and yeah. i wouldn't have any type of satisfaction at night unless i checked off all the things on the list i'm not just i'm not actually literally writing down a list like i know that i had to uh, grind these knives. I need to drill these knives. I can't leave for lunch until I get this done. You know, I gave myself these very clear goals and it allows me to say, I'd love to go do this, but I can't because I have to, these have to get done. And that is something that I had to fight myself because I know that there's procrastinate procrastination within me. When I was a sculptor yeah. in college, 
I would, I, th- you want some bullshit, here's some bullshit. I could, well, I learned how to weld, and none of these people know how to weld, and I called it welding voodoo. And what I would do is I'd tell my teachers, instead of writing a paper, why don't I make a sculpture for the class, and we'll talk about the sculpture. And they were so happy that I was taking within my, I was taking initiative to enjoy the class, whereas I was just grabbing some steel, welding it together, and then fucking around, and, you know, and I'd show up. <laughs> Spitting some bullshit. Yeah, that, that's, that is, and, and most of you guys listening to this know, when you guys see some steel and the bullshit welds and blah, 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 blah. That's the welding bullshit. And people are like, whoa, he welded. It's like unbelievable. So I used to per- to procrastinate <laughs> because I knew that I could knock out some bullshit, hit that welding voodoo up, and then get what I needed done done. And I, it, it gave me a false sense of like I, I could procrastinate because I could make weld something up quickly and then bring it into class. I have to be organized. Otherwise, I get depressed. Because I can go, I can slip through that procrastination super easy. Sure. And it's fucking hard. And it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's the worst. And I feel, I feel for you because it's like, and it isn't just like, here's what you should do. It's something that you need to kind of have this like inner dialogue and say, here's how I'm going to stop this. And, you know, I feel for you because that, I always wonder if I'm being as efficient as I can be. Yeah. That's it. You know, that's exactly it. It's it, and it's and it's and you know you're lucky because you're a young guy. You know, I'm I'm at the age now, and I think you know we make jokes about uh, age and stuff like that. I I would rather be in my situation in much my maturity level in terms of I've been down your road. I've been down the road where I show up to the shop and I don't know. I'm not suggesting this is what you do, but I've been down to a studio and I'm like, ah, I'm not going to fucking work on this railing. I'm going to make a. I'm going to make a fucking sculpture today or I'm not going to work on this sculpture. I'm going to start something new or being spontaneous or just fucking around for the sake of fucking around. One day in my old shop, I, I made a, uh, I, I had this dartboard and we used to throw darts and then there was a guy who used to show up and throw darts. So we wanted to make a joke. So I welded, a, I made this cover, a welded cover. So when he came in, he couldn't use the, I spent a whole day making this welding cover because I thought it was a, a stupid joke. And it, 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 oh my it's, God. Fr- procrastination is, a, is, 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 is brutal. And I just, you know, I feel for you because I'm not saying, I'm, I would never tell you this is what you should do. I just know how hard it is and how crippling it can be. And what happens is it becomes demoralizing. Yeah. And, you know, you're going to figure out some way to kind of like combat that. And it sounds like you already are. And, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's a, that's a daily trouble. That's a daily trouble. So I appreciate it. I'm with you, man. I listen. When I say I'm with you, usually it means uh, fuck away off. I'm not interested in talking anymore. But I really, it really does mean like I'm on your team. And when we talk to our listeners, I'm on your team too. We listen to what they have to say and not just the questions they have for this. When people send me messages, the, the, the overwhelming amount of people who have reached out to you and I both and at the Blade Show, we were kind of overwhelmed by how many people listen yeah. to the podcast. Listen, we all go through these things. This is like my Jerry Springer final final thought. I okay. used to have on his show. He used to have a final thought. Listen, we all go through this things. We are not. Who's Jerry Springer? Yeah, old again, old again. <laughs> Jerry Springer. Ugh, fuck it. But we're all we're all. I, listen, I say I'm a garbage human being because I honestly believe it. You know, we are all adorable people who have the stupid shit that we have to do and figure out how to get things done. The key is is to kind of the best thing you can do is what you've done, which is to acknowledge you have this 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 thing that you know that it's affecting you, and then figuring out yeah. ways in which you can kind of overcome it. Absolutely. 
and that's 100%. A, and that's a show. So if you uh, go to Knife Talk, go to the fucking Knife Talk. I don't even know. I don't have the live feed. I have the thing in front of me. Go to Knife Talk and go on the forum. Uh, knife follow Knife Talk podcast on Instagram. You can uh, yeah. get involved with the show. That's Mareko Momasi of Momasi Firearms on Instagram. I'm Jeff Fader of Fader Dives. Craig's who the hell knows what he's doing. He's chop knives. Go follow him. And that's it. That's it. Get the fuck Bye. out of here. Bye-bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.